Hello and welcome to episode 225 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and this month we are talking about Nier Automata, that 2017 uh, RPG sensation that uh, made a big splash when it came out and is still being talked about in 2020, whether it's part of a Final Fantasy XIV raid or a Games of the Decade discussion. Uh, but it's a game that, uh, and I think it did very well on RPG fans' own Games of the Decade list. Just about Finish a month ago. third. Finish yeah. third, yeah. That's right. Uh, Zach, you were the architect of that feature, so you'd be keenly aware of, how, of where it landed. It was also my vote for number one, so yes. <laughs> um, well, this is my first time playing Near Automata, so uh, regrettably, it was not on my list, and part of, and maybe part of why it was held off from the number one or two position. But uh, thanks for joining us, Zach. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And joining Zach and I are Joe Padilla. Howdy. And Caitlin Argyros. Hey, it's also my first time playing Nier Automata, so you and I are in good company. Uh, Joe, are you also in that company with Caitlin and I? Uh, yes. Yeah. First time playing through it. <laughs> okay, now it's already been established that Zach uh, is not playing this for the first time. <laughs> this is my but, third time, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, regrettably, I think I'm further behind Caitlin and Joe. Uh, I, I think both of you have either beaten the game and uh, or are nearly beaten the game, while I just made it through the A route, uh, and I'm maybe an hour into the B route. So I have uh, plenty of uh, near ahead of me. But... Uh, but before I, that's enough personal history, I guess let's go into a little bit of background stuff on Nier Automata. Uh, it, first of all, it's this is a sequel. There is there is a game called Nier Gestalt or Nier uh, uh, Nier Replicant, Replicant. Yeah. which uh, are basically identical games but have different designs for the main character and some different contextual <laughs> differences based on how the main character looks. And uh, we played that game for Retro Encounter in 2016. So, uh, and I was not on those podcasts, so I uh, I wasn't even producing the podcast yet. So I did I wasn't part of that playthrough, but I, uh, <laughs> I but I did listen to the episodes, so I know a little bit about near um uh, near one, let's call it. So, but uh, do any of the three of you know much about the first Nier? I've played through the A route, and that was as far as I got. Okay. Yep, and I played through A route and then most of the B route, I believe. And I have never played it. Okay, I was barely aware of it having routes. Um, And I listened to two podcast episodes about it. (laughs) But the the first Nier and this Nier... Are pretty separate. I, I think you'll. I think I think Emil, the shopkeeper, is in near one. Yes. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and Automata, and uh, they're Best boy. And, and uh, they, they're they share some kind of timeline. Like you can, you can find references and connections between the games, but I don't. I really don't think uh, knowing anything about near one is necessary to enjoy Automata because yeah. I, I I know barely anything about near one, and I, the... I I haven't even noticed a connection other than Emil. The, the connections become a little more obvious as you get towards the end of the B route and then into the C mm-hmm. route. Um, and there's some characters that um, y- you meet fairly early on that you recognize if you've played near, but no, it's not, it's not necessary to have played it at all to play Automata. Okay. Um, and we've mentioned a route, a route, B route, C route uh, in the context of both nears. And so in case a listener isn't totally aware of this, which I, I doubt, but I'm going to say anyway, uh, near Automata at some level is uh, contingent on explaining more of itself and going deeper into its own story with subsequent playthroughs. Uh, in, in, the, in the first story, route, uh, which is called A-Route, you play as, a, as an android named 2B, 
and in the B and C routes, you go through the same story or most of the same story, but as other characters. And uh, and it adds de- story detail and story context, and just and and just gives you more and gives you more with each subsequent playthrough. And I don't know. Uh, I, I've mostly kept myself spoiler free of um, of of near automata stuff, even though I know who the protagonist of C route is. Uh, but but I won't say what what exactly. So, but I don't know a lot of that new context and new story. So I'm really looking forward to playing through B and C and getting through more of that, but we are definitely saving those discussions for part two of our podcasts. But I, but I think that the listeners, in case you aren't, you should be aware that Nier Automata is about playing through multiple times, and for this podcast, we are going to mostly stick to, uh, to A route, the first single playthrough. But um, sticking to Nier background, uh, I, I think you really can't talk about Nier without talking about its creator, Yoko Taro, <laughs> is a bit of an RPG auteur. He is the... Uh, he, he worked on multiple games in the past, but is sort of mostly known as the architect of Nier and the Drakengard series. And he is a real unusual, really thoughtful game developer who's uh, one of the most delightful interviews in the business. If, uh, if you can find uh, him... If you can find interviews of him talking about his games, I, I really recommend you check it out because he's a real interesting cat. But... Uh, what what do we think of Yoko Taro? That, that he, other than him just being a bit of a character. Uh, well, I think that his willingness to mix things up with regards to how stories are told and how uh, how the camera is used in gameplay uh, is really interesting because it's. Uh, what I've what I've seen, I, I watched summaries of the original Nears, so I could be aware of context. Um, and uh, through watching that, and also just playing Automata, it's really cool to see how he kind of, or how the games and the games in general, kind of uh, they they mix things up. They kind of turn things on their heads a little bit in terms of what you're probably expecting from like your standard third person action uh, game or action RPG. I mean, like with Automata, like you, you start off at the very beginning, basically playing like a, a very, you know, sort of traditional uh, two-plane shooter, um, and the, the 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 point of view will change even when you're on the ground, you know, running around with your melee weapons. The point of view can change, and you'll suddenly be like a side-scroll uh, fighter or whatnot. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, just as a way of like defying player expectations, just even from a visual standpoint. And that's not even getting into uh, how the games are designed around multiple playthroughs, each playthrough giving you a little more information and revealing things that you didn't get in the first game or giving you different perspectives. So I like that about him. There are other things that I don't like, but uh, I think that that side, that, that sort of vision that he has for his games in general, but also just what he wants to see from video games as a medium. Like, I think that some of what he does is not just about him telling a story with him, his games. It's about trying to push the medium to, you know, to places that it, it's capable of, but maybe, you know, at least in his opinion, other, uh, other, other games, other developers aren't really pushing it. And I think that's, that is really cool. And I'd like to see more of that. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll hop on there too. And I mean, I, I agree with everything Caitlin said. But I think that the thing that sticks out to me is that there are things about his game design that are objectively annoying. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are things he does that are frustrating, there, that, are, that are really, really not fun sometimes. But it's always done with purpose. Um, and I can't go too far into some of them. But I think the thing that defines Taro to me is that he will piss you off with a purpose and he'll know he's doing it and he'll frustrate you, but it will make you feel something. And sometimes that feeling is frustration, um, but oftentimes um, it's exalting by the time you understand why he's doing it. Yeah, I I don't want to get too effusive with my praise, but he really has this, I don't know, this this David Lynch edge to him where he he has... uh, he definitely has things he wants to say, but he also is a bit of a provocateur, a little bit of a troll. And but but he, but again, extremely thoughtful. And how uh, Caitlin mentioned he plays with genre, like uh, he, he goes into um, into third person space shooter and top down shmup style space shooter, like switching between them with your like your 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 plane switching like a macross fighter to. Uh, to, from jet mode to, to mech mode to to fit those uh, to fit those perspectives, and then you hop out of the fighter and do and, and do some three D action sequences. He he plays with genre in a in a way that is uh, th- that is really cool. And even like in some of the shooting segments, like the voiceover will be circle around to the back of the Goliath, and like in the background you'll be circling around and changing perspective and fighting different enemies but in the foreground you're still in this pretty intense um scrolling shooter so it like the way he uses camera and genre is very very smart to me and um near automata probably would have been just fine if it was a character action rpg with the 3d on foot stuff for 99 percent of the game and it would have been fine but now it becomes a more more unique thing with all the different gameplay phases it has I have never been as affected by, like, text, nothing but text on the screen, like a, a scene being told to me through through text on a blank screen, as I have yeah. been by this game, some of which is related to the later routes, but you get a little bit of that even in Route A, and, uh, oh boy. I, I, and I think that I, it's so effective because it's such a shift from what you've been doing uh, before it too sometimes right i mean i think that um, yeah the way he blends things that don't seem like they fit um i, I think is really what um makes it so brilliant i th- i think in his what i i really loved about this game is that there's a dizzying array of new ideas in uh automata but you can also see um a lot of those ideas originating in the first near game and when you're um, and when you're um, playing through that, you kind of see these. You kind of see these ideas, and you think, "Oh, I see what he's going for. This is a really fascinating idea, but it needs to be fleshed out a bit more. It, it feels a bit like a. It has its own. It's its own game, and it has its own ideas, but it does feel like a bit of a, a first draft in a way. And then playing uh, on Amada after that, it's it's kind of a revelation. You're just I found myself consistently awed by all these things of, yeah, I kind of remember him attempting to do this in Nier, but wow, he's, he, well, I don't want to just say he, I don't really, I don't want to get too much into Autor because of the team at Platinum and mm-hmm. producer Saito, but he plays a big role in this and he really pulled it off. And it's really fascinating to see these ideas come together. 
Yeah, Near Automata feels like a more fully realized version of the concepts and idea in the first Near. And and I think that and I think we're all benefiting from it. There there has never been more attention to Near One than in the window of Automata's popularity. Yeah. <laughs> like like I it, think there's so much attention that they get a remake out there. It'd be awesome. <laughs> it's it's incredible that they greenlit a sequel to Near in the first place, but it's nice that it's one that actually has a budget because in when the first Near came out, it was within it was released right around the time of Final Fantasy thirteen. So, I mean, all of Square Enix's resources were going towards that massive promotional campaign for it. Um, which, you know, ended up doing rather well for them with how much thirteen sold and how much near at first was kind of uh, left to the wayside or forgotten. Um, but it's interesting to see how the tables have turned in a way. Yeah, now um, Nier is, I should say Nier Automata, is the uh, is fulfilling the, the dream of every single video game and is now part of Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, more, it. it's, it, it's more that, so than fifteen. <laughs> yeah, that is, the, uh, that is uh, Nier's final form. But uh, let's, let's actually talk more about the game properly. Um, you, uh, the very beginning of Nier Automata, you're an android named 2B who is a combat android in a eternal war between androids and machines. The androids were uh, a, a force created by the last surviving humans following uh, an alien invasion and apocalypse. And the machines were created by the aliens to use as their foot soldiers, we think. So it's mostly a war between android and machine. But pulling the strings are humans and, uh, and a nonspecific race of aliens. Or at least that's what we're led to believe. I'm not. I don't know if I should take all of that at face value right now, but that's where we are. Uh, 2B is a combat android who's flying one of these uh, mecha jets on a sort of bombing mission into a factory that's been seized. That's been seized by machines to produce more machines. It it, it does one of the some of the genre swapping that we mentioned earlier in the episode, where uh, you do some shooting segments as a jet, some shooting segments as a mech. Where the jet ones are more like a, uh, more like an Ikaruga or a Gradius, and the and the uh, Mecha ones allow more rotation and are more like a Geometry Wars, uh, with with, uh, with how you can position yourself. But uh, you you land in this factory on foot, um, fight through the factory, connect with a with a, a reconnaissance android named 9S, and team up with 9S to uh, defeat a huge Goliath boss, which is like the size of an offshore offshore oil rig in one of those uh, third-person space shooting segments, kind of like a Star Fox at times. And it and uh, the the sequence ends very dramatically with with uh, 9S and 2B holding hands and detonating their black boxes, which are like sort of the central uh, core power systems of their android bodies, and uh, blowing up several of these Goliaths at once. And then that drops you into the bunker, which is an overhead satellite, where the androids all deploy from, and you sort of this sort of communicates to you that you're an android fighting fighting an endless war against these uh, machine life forms, and it's possible to upload your data to the cloud, as it were, and regenerate into a new body if you're destroyed in combat and if every and uh, and do things properly. And from the bunker, you get a new mission to go back to the back to Earth, um, which is uh, in uh, in an area near the factory where you uh, where that first mission is. And you eventually uh, connect with um, some other androids at a resistance camp. But I want to go back to the prologue and factory. Uh, this is a very 
almost hyperactive and slightly challenging first chapter to deal with because they 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 throw yeah. so much gameplay stuff at you at once and it's not it's not the most challenging gameplay in the game but it's definitely so early that you haven't grasped mm-hmm. all of the combat yet and you haven't equipped yourself with all of the most powerful stuff yet so i i think uh, this is a bit of a challenging prologue like i had i had to flex my old um like ikaruga and metal slug muscles uh, play, uh, playing through that, and I, I managed to beat the prologue without dying, only to die to a moose in the very first chapter of the game. <laughs> afterwards, <laughs> no matter exactly. what level you are, the moose, the moose, the mooses are um, pretty dangerous. Maybe yeah, yeah, exactly what happened to me. Sometimes, like they get pissed at me for no reason. Like I, you know, obviously if you attack them, they'll start, you know, coming at you. But there were several times where I did nothing to them, and out of nowhere, a moose just you know yeah. runs me over, and I'm like, yeah, I, th- I think. I think if you walk through a herd of moose or a pack of the wild boars, sometimes like a big alpha male will try to defend the will try to defend the herd, as it were. Um, it, so like I'll I'll be wandering through some boars, minding my own business, only to get tackled from the rear. Uh, when I died early in chapter one, I, I made two very stupid assumptions. One, I didn't uh, I didn't realize there was fall damage, so I just jumped off the top of a skyscraper <laughs> yeah. and uh, and and got and got left with about maybe fifteen percent HP. And then my second assumption was that these moose were friendly and would leave me alone if I left them alone. And then I got tackled by, uh, from the side by a moose. Di- <laughs> so I, I died before I even reached the resistance camp, but. <laughs> but but a, but after I finish the prologue, so uh, so so yeah, um, death can come at you fast in uh, near Automata. But uh, also, you can almost I mean this reminds me of a Dark Souls or a Diablo game. You can uh, you know re-upload your consciousness, regenerate into a new body, get dumped through a vending machine because that's how this game works, I guess. Um, shout out to all the Common Rider O's fans out there, and uh, and if you relocate your uh, previous body. It'll give you all of the extra XP you gained from the before the last save point, and restore your chip loadout and weapon loadout from when you died. So that's a uh, that th- that's handy. And uh, also, very early in the game, I think I think it has to be after you uh, go to the resistance camp. But you can find your body um, from the prologue where you detonated your black box. Yeah, and uh, factory. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then that gives you a bunch of extra items and one of uh and one of your starting weapons back, which is great because I, <laughs> I use those two starting katanas, uh, the virtuous treaty and virtuous contract, and I think one spear that I found that was pretty good. And you, those are the only three main weapons I use the whole game. Those those are the two I still use when I go back to the game. So those two starting weapons, they're they're, still they're valuable. They're very good, solid starting weapons, and yeah. the the light sword and heavy sword. Uh, uh, g- gameplay styles because I, I think basically the it's like Monster Hunter. It's like depending on what, what weapon you equip, they they'll all behave the same, but have different damage values and different and different extra properties. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the having a light sword and heavy sword is a good balance, and they give you excellent light and heavy swords at the beginning if you retrieve that body. So I, I almost didn't see a reason to use anything else. But when I did get a pretty good spear, uh, I don't know, maybe around the halfway point, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna try a spear for a while, and it was pretty fun. But uh, now I'm curious, um, Joe or Caitlin, did you? Uh, what weapons would you use most of the game? And and uh, and also uh, talk about your your pod buddy robot layouts if you uh, if you use anything besides the starting Gatling gun. <laughs> uh, well, I usually stuck to a heavy sword as my heavy weapon. Um, I was just used to that. And there's some 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 of the heavy swords I think have the 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 highest uh, damage totals once you have them. Uh, 
ranked up all the way. So that seemed like a good uh, way to go. I didn't, I didn't stick with the uh, the default uh, katana heavy. I usually uh, once I got, I think, uh, was it Beast Lord? Um, kind of stuck to that since it looks awesome and is it hits like a truck. Is that the one that looks like a triangle, or is that the Buster Sword looking one? I can't remember. It's more. It's not. Well, it's not the Buster Sword heavy sword. I never leveled that one up all the oh, way, but no. it's it's sort of like that. It's a gigantically wide long blade with the, the the end of it is kind of curved at the end oh okay yeah, yeah. okay it's, um, um it's one of uh it's one of the swords from uh the original near yeah oh, i okay. figured it must be because there's a couple of them that look like they're really out of place mm-hmm. in automata i figured it had to be i mean you you get you can get noctis's weapon from final fantasy 15 in this game you can so get a i cypher figured stick too from Dragon yeah Quest. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also get a, you can also get a metal pipe like you're playing final fight yeah, if you fish what? it out of the uh, mm-hmm. the sewers, yep. Um, I I stuck with swords, small swords for my uh, my light attack though. Uh, if I didn't use a small sword, I would use a spear. But I kind of tended to favor small swords just because of how fast and how many uh, how many attacks you can get in one combo with them. Yeah, I, I, I like I like I, I like fast and light for my my attack style. Not mm-hmm. not necessarily super slow and 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 heavy, with the exception of when I had to play as nine S, and then I kind of favored heavy weapons because he can only have one. Yeah, um, two B can equip uh, a sort of light attack and heavy attack to uh, to square and triangle, and depending on what kind of weapon you equip to square and triangle, it'll, it'll be a little bit different. I.e., a heavy sword will behave differently attached to square than it will attach to triangle. But I, I used I used what was probably the most basic loadout for most of the game: light sword uh, to triangle, heavy sword. I'm sorry, light sword to square, heavy sword to triangle. Because I really liked the charge combo on triangle for heavy sword. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah, you pull cool. you pull the sword back like uh, and hold it down the button for a few seconds until you flash. And then you do like a fast spinning draw that is really good at clearing out crowds of enemies. So my my, my uh, strategy most of the time was light attack, light attack, light attack. When I have a few seconds, uh, hold down triangle, then just big sweeping heavy attack. And uh, interspersing all of this with, but, but with uh, holding down R1 for, for uh, cover fire and mashing R2 at times for dodges. Because dodging smartly in this game is maybe the most important part of gameplay, I think. Mm-hmm. It also looks really cool when you counter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Equipping, equipping counter chips and chips that increase your, inva- your evade window can be are really, really awesome effects. <laughs> Back to the game itself. Uh, at the Resistance Camp, you meet a nice lady named, named Anemone. Uh, Anemone? Uh, I'm mixing up my N's and M's here. <laughs> and you sound like finding Nemo. A little bit like <laughs> with friends like these, who needs an enemies? Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> the at, at the resistance camp, um, you get the idea that this android machine war has been going on for decades or even centuries, and it's a never-ending war for resources. To, to which point, they ask you for your first mission, or at least a very early mission, to. Uh, Gather some materials for the shopkeepers at the resistance camp, and then check with the with their sister camp at the edge of the desert, just to see what's going on with them. And uh, I want to know your earliest impressions of this post apocalypse. It's uh, I mean, this is not the first post apocalyptic game you all have played. I'm assuming, 
and uh and so seeing sort of a ruined cityscape that's been slightly overgrown with green in the interim is probably not the first time you've seen that and either but I don't know. There's something very uh, there's something very beautiful beautiful about this version of it, at least to me. I, I I thought that the scene that the setting was appealing throughout, even though I mean the game is designed into zones so distinct that it might as well be like a Mega Man stage select screen. But the uh, but but it's uh, I thought it was a very beautiful, fun setting to explore for the most part when you're not trudging through em- endless empty desert. I mean, for me, the uh, setting is so like linked to the music of this game. Like mm-hmm. when I when I think about the visuals of it, like the the music is what pops in my head. And we haven't really talked about the music yet, but oh my, <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's a it's a little bit washed out at times, which I think is appropriate for it. Um, I think navigation is sometimes frustrating. Uh, again, I think this is purposeful. Like the maps for like figuring out where you're supposed to go are, are annoying. Yeah. Um, which I think again. I, I think Taro's doing on purpose, but um, in terms of the visual design, I feel like it just has like a sense of scale and a sense of scope that really makes it um, beautiful in its own way. I was, uh, I was actually surprised. I, because I hadn't played the original Nier and I had never really watched like any gameplay of Automata. So I, for some reason I thought it was going to be a lot more linear than it was. And I was legit surprise when I first arrived at the city and found that it's not a corridor, it's it's an open world or semi open world and that you can you can go and just run around. I actually I explored most of the city ruins and I actually went up to the desert before even going to the resistance camp because I was just like, Hey, this thing is here. I don't know if I'll you know, I don't know if this is part of the main story or if it's just like there to be there. So I'm gonna go explore it. And then I was like, well, okay, maybe I, maybe I should go and actually like do this quest because maybe I have to come back here. And it turns out, yep, I did. Um, but that was a big surprise. Uh, I really liked it to, you know, to have it be more open like that. I think there is, you know, there is quite a bit of intentionality to the game, but then like with, with how carefully thought out a lot of this game, uh, feels, I think that can sometimes, um, make excuses when they don't necessarily need to be there. Like there's quite a few invisible walls in the, in the environment and and it does kind of, yeah, that's uh, annoying. It it does kind of uh, aggravate the Mm -hmm. immersion uh, factor a bit, but overall the setting I think is brilliant and linking it with, with the music it has, um, they kind of play off each other in this sort of um, timeless, feeling you know when you know something wants to be heavily futuristic they use a lot of heavy synths and they use these kind of Hans Zimmer-esque dynamics to it and then if you want something more rustic pastoral use sort of the these folksy uh, sort of sounds to it and Nier doesn't really fit into either category it's its world and its music um both evoke this kind of feeling of being just alien and in a way also familiar in, in kind of an indescribable way. Well, I, I think that the music, uh, it's the, all the choral stuff certainly evokes uh, r- religious music and, and things like that. And, and we'll get to this, but certainly ideas about God and ideas about, you know, like existence are so, so hugely baked into this game's narrative that like, to me, the music evokes that too. 
Yeah, um, the the audio presentation is often specific to the different zones or different uh, settings in here, but it's I mean it's really powerful. The the the, the, ga- the music in this game make, makes a really big splash, and sometimes they go for a um a, almost like uh, I, I don't know almost an exotic tone like uh like 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 jungle drums kind of stuff, and then they mm-hmm. mix that with with choral music and more and and almost like like folk vocals kind of music that is not really not really typical to a JRPG but uh I don't know just contributing to the u- unique um to the unique tone of this game and I also thought this game uses silence very beautifully oh, like yeah. uh especially if you're sort of just traveling around looking for side quest stuff or just exploring a new area that isn't what, that doesn't have specific music attached to it um just the quiet of the setting with the rustle of you running through grass or sand or or whatever is very powerful. It made me think of Shadow of the Colossus because mm-hmm. that, that, that's another setting that's very green and uh, or, or unusually green. And as you're fighting, sometimes enemies your size, sometimes enemies much larger. But just the, 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 the setting seeming larger than it is and how it used uh, both really good audio and really good lack of audio. I, I, I don't know. I thought it was just a very powerful presentation overall. And um, again, again, we're not even through to chapter one of this game, really. But I, no, the other thing I want to talk about is just the use of black, white, and light and darkness in this game. There, there's some incredibly stark con, con, uh, contrasts uh, just visually of light and dark. Because there are some sequences that are so dark I was frustrated like uh, when you like when you go in later in the game, you have to go through the factory again, but uh, but part of it's blacked out, and and I, I felt slightly powerless and frantic, like I was backed into a mm-hmm. corner fighting fighting robots in the dark. And there's other parts like the uh, like the copied city, which is a stark white, while Two B is dressed in a, is wearing a black dress and black dress and mask, and uh, and and just the way that it feels unusually bright in the in the city ruins area and in the desert. And then just and then just shadows and shade is used very smartly in the forest area later in the game. Uh, I, I I don't know, like I I could feel the light of the sun or the darkness of the shade in this game in a very real way, even though there's no day day night cycle in this game at all. Yeah, what's um, what's up with that? They uh, Ninus mentions that at some point, but there's no explanation <laughs> given for it, and I'm just kind of trying to figure out in my head. So, like, was the war so, like, powerful that they somehow, like, stopped the rotation of the planet? Or okay. is it have... more like a meta, like, oh, it's a video game, we don't have a day-night cycle, so we're just going <laughs> to say, ha, 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 there's no night. Well, okay, I, I do have an explanation for this. Um, thousands of years ago, the goddess Hydaelyn separated the world into 14, into 14 parts, and in mm-hmm. one of the... In, no. And in one no. part... No, in, in one no, part, no, no, yeah. we... This, this is not... You see, part. long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. There are then, no simple <laughs> eaters in this game. <laughs> then everything changed when the Asians attacked. <laughs> okay, uh, we're, we're, we're definitely mi- uh, we're definitely mixing metaphors here. I, there isn't a good explanation for the lack of a day-night cycle, especially mm-hmm. since you can go to sleep in this game. But um, I don't know. Maybe the Earth's orbit got so messed up that it's now uh, geosynchronous with the sun instead of geosynchronous with the moon. Maybe maybe that's solar synchronous. I'm not sure. But the uh, but I'm, I wasn't kidding, though. I think that um, the, the abundant sunlight in parts of the game almost makes the 
almost makes like the other textures feel feel like they're washing out and sometimes the shade yeah. just makes it hard to see things in a way that that um is sometimes I'm going back to Yoko Taro like all, always being committed to his ideas but in sometimes annoying the player in doing so right but, uh, uh, I, I thought I thought that the use of light and dark and black and white were very very strong visually in this game. It's a very interesting color palette that they they've chosen because it is uh, you mentioned washed out. It's not it's not super saturated and it's definitely on purpose uh, that it is like uh, I mean I'm playing on a display that uh, is a has really brilliant colors and even there it's it's pretty muted and so like you know that's that's and you know we've seen other games it seems to be kind of like i don't know i feel like if that's maybe a reflection of the post-apocalyptic nature of the game like it's it's easy to fall back on that kind of color palette to to like imply the starkness of Uh, of the of the reality or the or the area just by by the colors you choose you know you don't you don't want to use like super bright vivid colors if you're depicting you know the remains of of humanity after a horrible war because I mean you know people you can and you can sort of get a feel for emotions even just from color choices and stark colors uh, lots of uh, l- lack of color, and even like you know, you're talking. We were talking about like a kind of a favoring of light and dark, or white and black, as opposed to uh, other colors in the spectrum. Kind of get you. You kind of feel it, even if there's no like story reason for it. It's something that you can the, the player can just kind of like feel as they're as they're experiencing uh, the world like that. And it's kind of an interesting way to get home the fact that something really bad happened here yeah. and what's left behind is the remains of two races. And, and I think that um, it, it becomes thematically more obvious to like sort of the hollowness of it. Um, I, I, this gets ahead of us. So I don't want to talk about it, but I think that there are other um, thematic reasons why um, everything feels so hollow and so black and white. Um, but again, that gets into future playthroughs. And I think that, um, I think that kind of minimalist aesthetic that it goes for, especially on the menus and such, it kind of feels like um, the antithesis to another popular JRPG that came out in 2017 being Persona 5. It's like they're, they feel like two yeah. sides, two sides of a, of brilliant design um, completely opposed to each other where Persona 5 is this maximalist, you know, ridiculous, um, possibly some of the most eye-catching menus ever seen in a video game. And this is so muted and it's so stark. And um, I think they both communicate what, uh, they both communicate the properties of their games really well. Speaking of the menu system, am I the only one who looked at that and was and thought for a second that, am I, am I in a Metal Gear game here? Yeah, yeah, I totally got like a, a Metal Gear Solid Three vibe from it. Yes, yeah. I was. That, that was a very interesting design. I, I'm wondering if it was semi-intentional because, like, it's it's hard not to think that your people playing this game have played a Metal Gear Solid game at some point. Maybe. Um, I I, I think that. <clears throat> Uh, Taro has a lot of influences that he wears on his sleeve a little bit 
it uh I mean, I, I don't think it was necessarily a call from on high from the his Square Enix bosses that he includes a Dragon Quest weapon and a Final Fight weapon, because I I think that he probably has affection for both of those things. Like, and especially the way you fight in crowds makes me think, oh, this guy played arcade fighters thirty years ago, and uh, the all the shooting segments makes me think, oh, this guy played a. Uh, uh, this guy played a lot of shmups years ago, and and I think that Ikaruga is definitely one of his influences in this game because uh, that's a shmup from oh I don't know around around 2000 or the early 2000s that was on Dreamcast and GameCube where you have where you switch between uh, black mode and white mode to absorb mm-hmm. black or white shots and defeat black or white enemies. So oh, yeah. so it's it's, it's an intense uh, shmup, but also a, uh, you're solving the puzzle of when to switch from white to black to get through certain segments. And uh, which yeah, is a great game. And there's there are some of the shooting segments. The enemies have white and black uh, bullets that you can only and you can only destroy the white ones and have to dodge the black ones. Um, maybe there's even a color switch mechanic that I just didn't know how to do in your Automata. But uh, it like I I think that Taro definitely wears his influences on his sleeve. And some of the vibes about uh, the the way they discuss war and the and the way that some of the action is how you're sort of like a a a lone soldier fighting these giant machines which are defining this this war i i I don't know a lot about metal gear solid but i would not be shocked if uh taro was a metal gear solid fan and his influence is evident in near automata there's uh, a wonderful episode of the youtube series toko toko where there's um there's an episode with Yoko Taro and in it, he talks quite a bit about his love for old pinball machines, <laughs> which, which I think, which I think is very interesting because of kind of the, the bombast and the, the, the feel of the twin stick shooter parts of it. Yeah. I, I think he like Showa era arcades, like eighties, early nineties arcades are, mm-hmm. is kind of a vibe he's going for. I know the, the Yakuza creator, uh, designed, um, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I forget the name of the neighborhood. It's, it's, it's like Kabukicho, I think. Kamurocho. 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 Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. He, he designed Kamurocho to be like one of those neighborhoods that was built in the 80s and is still sort of wearing that late Showa architecture and late Showa sort of uh, uh, setting a little bit. And I, and I, I think that Taro might be coming from a, uh, from a similar place. Like he has he, – he wants to make a modern game with his ideas in it, but also – uh, he's gonna make it. Uh, he's gonna make it shmuppy, and he's gonna make it intri- like uh, mechanical in this way because of the shmups and the pinball games he loved thirty years ago. I, I, I really believe that, even though I don't have legitimate evidence saying so. But oh man, we're we're never gonna get through this story. I mean, we've we've, <laughs> we've been talking for forty minutes, and we have still we are still in chapter one. <laughs> so yeah, in the desert, things get real weird when a bunch of machines combine and uh, create a man, and then a man is created from that other man. How about it? That I, robot orgy, guys. Yeah, that was hot. <laughs> and I think um, we have our first instance of of uh, Taro not being political or religious at all, where a robot, <laughs> uh, where someone named Adam uh, conceives someone named Eve out of himself. Because uh, I don't know if any of you guys are biblical scholars or had to attend Catholic Sunday school like I did for many years, but uh, <laughs> um, but Eve w- Eve was created from Adam's rib, mm. and. And uh, and to see a robot named Eve burst forth out of the torso of a robot named Adam felt a little loaded to me. You don't say. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a little on the nose or anything, right? 
<laughs> but anyway, that, that's maybe the, uh, other than the Goliath in the intro, that's maybe the first real big boss battle we have. And uh, Caitlin alluded to a robot orgy. Um, dozens and dozens of robots, like, all scuttle together like a, like, I don't know, like a giant wasp nest or something. And then a uh, statuesque naked man. Um, Sephiroth! Yeah, a little <laughs> bit Sephiroth, a little bit like one of the, uh, about one of the Devil May Cry twin brothers. Um, uh, comes comes forth and uh, and you have a boss fight against him. He sort of learns from you as you fight, and his move set gets more complicated. And he starts mimicking some of the things you do as you fight him, which I don't know makes you think of like makes you think of machine learning, or makes you think of a newborn absorbing everything around them. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was I thought it, it was a cool idea, and it's definitely not the last you see of Adam or his. Uh, flesh brother eve whatever you want to call them first time i think in the game we really see uh, machines imitating human behavior because i mean mm-hmm. uh, you know before before they all move together like they're they're cradling a baby because they think it's like a child and like they're all like smashing up against each other as if they're having sex with each other um and then i think then you see that happening with adam as well um him imitating human behavior and one of the things that i think the first playthrough is doing um, it's sort of a standard JRPG thing. Is like that idea that you know machines are human too. Um, they complicated a lot later on, but I think this is the first time we really see that. And and something else that really struck me even on um, first play and first watch of this is um, how Adam how Adam and Eve's bodies are. I mean, they there isn't like this tradi- traditional uh, masculine or feminine. Uh, structure to their bodies or to how they present um as the the story goes on um it's very it's a very fluid sense of it and i think that's kind of in line with um with other with other thoughts on kind of gender and sexuality in this game and violence in in some way um and also on um the original near uh because one of uh one of the characters in the original near as canonically gay and one of the characters, um, they, Yoko Taro called them, called them a hermaphrodite, but that's, you know, not <laughs> the terminology I would use for one of the characters, but, um, it's, it's kind of in keeping with some of these, these ideas, um, the series is playing with and is trying to express, I think. I, I mean, this just really speaks to who I am, but I really thought of them as weird Dante and weird Virgil, except they like each other. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but you're right. There's, um, I, I mean, I, I guess because of the musculature of Adam a little bit, I thought they presented male, but uh, they really are androgynous bodies, and I don't think they were ever refer to themselves as specifically male or female, except that Adam um, Eve calls Adam brother, and. Uh, and, and and that does sort of speak to the, like um our our uh, I mean these are androids and machines. They're, a gender binary doesn't really exist on this new world. Yeah, and I think that they're both uh, classically beautiful, regardless of what whatever gender you associate them. Yeah, with. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, uh, it gives that imitation of you know humanity that they're, they're definitely going for. Yeah, I, I went with the adjective statuesque, and I and I stand by it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But and we'll see more out of Adam and Eve later. 
But uh, and after you have that encounter in the desert, the if you go back to the arena where you fought Adam and Eve, there there I'm sorry, just where you fought just Adam, uh, there's a bunch of level 38 robots there, and they can that that's a good way to level up if you really really have an idea, a mind to. I, w- I went there looking for materials because I. I don't know. I stupidly checked a guide, and they said, oh, you can get titanium alloy here. And they <laughs> conveniently didn't mention how strong the, the enemies were. So I was, I, was, I was R2-ing my way around that place frantically, trying to escape for a good ten minutes. Along the same lines of the, the question of gender identity when you're talking about a bunch of, of robots, there's also a lot of um, mention of family and relationships uh, among the Orhai androids and among the resistance members who are also androids. Um, you, you hear, you know, secondhand about relationships between uh, characters. There are several side quests that involve two characters who are in a relationship or you, you know, you hear about characters and like with the Yorhai androids, uh, it's not, I mean, like, this part of it is just our view based on who we're playing as, but it seems like a, a, most of Yorha it, are androids that pres- that look to us, at least, as if they are feminine, that they're, that they're women. Uh, 9S is one of the only models that seems to be modeled after, you know, a young boy. Um, and that it, it doesn't seem, to, there's no, like, traditional gender roles present from what we can tell within the androids, either Yorha or the Resistance, because so many androids that we would identify as female are in relationship with other androids that we would identify as female. I think, and it's, it's normal. It's not seen as something weird or, or unique. Uh, it's just one android, you know, being in love with or being with another android. I thought that was, uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, if you, talk, if you have a game where all of the people that you see are machines. It makes it a little easy, I guess, to to have that sort of idyllic society where it doesn't matter who you're with, what their gender is, or what you know they're perceived as. Love is love, but I still appreciated that uh, you know in this day and age, especially coming from you know Japanese developers. I, I thought it was a kind of nice gesture to have that sort of be the this the, the new status quo in this post apocalyptic world. And uh going me overthinking this a little bit, um, my my reasoning is that the androids typically present as specifically male or specifically female. I I, I don't think it's I, I think it's inarguable that uh 2B presents female and 9S prevents younger male. Um, I, I, because they were designed by humans who at, at some level would, um, you know, design after themselves and mostly fall into a gender binary. But, uh, but robots having, having, having no previous idea of gender and only vague ideas of family and relationships would create, uh, would create something more androgynous, but still mimicking human imagery and human behavior. So, I, I mean, I, you, you can, you can think about, you can explain it away however you want like i i i think androids were designed with with some hu- with some more human behaviors and human emotions and ideas in mind and machines were designed without those things and at some level both the androids and the machines living without much human influence are sort of figuring all of these things out and uh going back to robots mimicking human behavior sort of the next zone you go to after the desert is an amusement park 
And I love the sequence. Most of the machines in the amusement park will not attack you unless provoked. They're having parades. They seem to ha- some of them seem to have jobs. Like like they, their their job is to <laughs> is, sell is, balloons. Is to sell balloons. You even find a couple robots that tell you they're on break. Yeah. Um, robot robot carnies, I guess. <laughs> but it really feels like they're mimicking human behavior. They're they're celebrating or dancing without totally knowing what it means or why they're doing it. And uh, towards the end, at the end of the amusement park, you, you fight a couple robots, um, excuse me, a couple machines, more obviously designed for combat, and then it culminates against a boss battle with a large machine that, uh, oh, I forget her name. Uh, I think, Caitlin, you mentioned to me off-air that uh, you, you find out her name and more about her, and more about them. Her name and, is Simone. Yeah, but and, but you don't really learn that until the B route. Yes, correct. Okay, and and Simone has been um, has been capturing androids and uh, reprogramming them with her with some uh, unusual properties to her voice and apparently torturing them. It's 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 disturbing. It's a disturbing scene when you realize what's happening, and that and she sends and she sends you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, android automatas at you uh, with, with violent intentions. It's a, it's a it's an intense and slightly disturbing boss fight, but really really cool. I think it's probably like one of those iconic, like especially because it's so early. It's one of the very first boss fights in the game, but I still think it's probably one of those fights that people think about when they think about near. It's one of the few bosses that I knew about going into this game. Um, so that might, of course, color my perception of it, but it's still kind of one of the ones that I think about when I'm looking at when I'm going over all the different boss fights in the game. It's a, it's a kind of a still um, kind of a unique fight that fight uh, versus other boss fights in the game, and I love her music so very much. And and also um, just as a side note, leading up to it, when you ride the roller coaster into the yeah. into the boss fight. Amazing set piece. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I think the, the whole thing is so much more colorful than the rest of the game. But just mm-hmm. like the, the scope and the sweep of that um, amusement park thing, and you do it. I've done it six times now, uh, and every time <laughs> I'm just like amazed by it. It's yeah, so I, cool. I don't think any other part of the game uses purple or red than the amusement park and the boss fight against Simone. Yeah, yeah, you might be right, and that <laughs> would be appropriate. Yeah. There's, there's a fast. One of the most fascinating parts of the. Um, boss fight. And I'm I'm not sure if this is it's in um, in route A. Can you still understand what she's saying to you? You I is that only in route B? You I cannot. don't I don't think you can because I yeah. I was not understanding most of what she said. Yeah. So the part where your camera gets controlled is sort of um, filled out in the in the B route. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Because there's. Um, I guess the part that I really like about it in the B route, um, but I'm not sure if you can, I'm not sure if you're, um, if she says this in the A route. So I will hold off on that because I think it's a really cool gameplay thing. Yeah. That's something that we get when, when we in the, in part two, when we just dis- discuss the new stuff in the B and C routes and other routes, we can, cause I think, I think that there's A through E are sort of the important story ones. And then F through Z are weird game overs that you can just stumble upon. Are you saying that my game over where I ate a bad fish and exploded does not count as important story? <laughs> or uh, well, 
Well, let's come back to that question once we've all finished the game, because there's a certain piece in the archive that might change your opinion about that particular death. <laughs> Wait, oh, what? Yeah, I, I don't I even mean, know what she's talking about. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I finished I finished the game, but I think I missed this. So, yeah, we're... Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Because, because who's giving you the fish? Uh, Remember who gave you the fish? That's interesting. Okay, well, this this is definitely a discussion yeah. for part two, <laughs> but the uh, but I I think it also goes out saying or well no it goes with saying that I think that you can miss a lot of details in this game if you don't go into the menu archives and read item descriptions and quest descriptions because they, there's a lot of hidden information in those menus and uh, item descriptions especially if you read the descriptions of your weapons. There's uh yes, they, they, the stories. Yeah, they give you yeah. additional weapon stories as you upgrade your weapons cuz every time you find a new weapon it starts at level 1 and you can upgrade it up to level 4. And it, there's not a, there's not a ton of weapons in the game. Maybe, maybe 20. I'm not I'm not sure. Like maybe a little bit more than 20. Uh and even though I, I I only put hard time into using 3 of them. But but the the weapon stories, item descriptions, especially the items that you get after after completing side quests, there's a, a lot of hidden story in there, and a lot of it's really fascinating because the writing in this game I think is outstanding. Um, yeah. Like even some of the side quests you do, like finding like you meet a uh, a robot girl that lost her sister, and, and I I apologize for using gendered words, but they <laughs> in, when we just had the discussion about gender ten minutes ago, but they do refer to each other as sisters. Just the the thing, the questions that the naive robot girl asks nine S. <laughs> about like about like where babies come from and and what the yeah. wind, and and how and why wind happens is just <laughs> it, it, it's very thoughtful and cute and, and just excellent like the writing in this game is good as hell mm-hmm. it really is and we need to we need to talk I maybe we should i don't know I don't know how many side quests you've been doing, Mike. We might want to save it, side I, quest talk for next episode it, it but... said i it said I completed twenty eight percent of the side quests. And I I abandoned several of them mid-playthrough because uh, there's mm-hmm. a point in the game where a bunch of my side quests disappeared. Yeah. Um, which there, I did. There, which, yeah. there are two that you should definitely do, but we can talk about that after. Yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but anyway, um, after the amusement park, you uh, meet a village of machines led by a machine named Pascal. And these are machines that want peace uh, and are so aggressive in wanting peace, all of them are waving surrender flags to you. At the during your first visit to the village, because they're sl- probably terrified of you, since you're a basically a robot mass murderer, and uh, I'm sorry, machine mass murderer, and uh, and because they genuinely don't uh, want to um, interact without violence, and it's uh, I think this is maybe the first glimpse you get of machines being something other than uh, other than killing machines. Um, I'm, it's probably hinted at in other, in other places earlier, but these robots, which you know, I mean, they're kind of cylindrical, trash can-looking robots. These, these are these are mo- most of the robots in the game are of a very sort of stark, simple, rounded, uh, rounded edges edges design. But uh, the ones that are friendly and asking you uh, and asking you sort of um, childlike questions. I, I don't know. This is your first glimpse of saying, oh, okay, I guess there are good machines. And then later you're thinking, like, how many differences are there really between the androids and the machines? Especially since 2B at times seem, gives robotic responses. Uh, 2B it, like, uh, is tr- clearly trying to quell emotions and just do her job, while 9S is a little bit more, um, I, I don't know, a, a little bit more feeling, a little bit more sentimental. 
than uh, than Tubi is, and, and their their dialogue is you know evolves in them, you know, uh, getting closer as they get through, uh, as the game progresses. But yeah, what do you what were your thoughts on the Machine Village and Pascal and and, uh, and their companions? Pascal is a precious cinnamon roll and must be protected. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Agreed. Huh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think that again, um, in in the in this playthrough, I feel like it's playing on um, lots of the you know, sort of the normal tropes about like you know war and machines and things like that. So I wasn't honestly, I, I don't feel like I was all that surprised by the idea that like, there was like a, a village of friendly machines that don't want to fight and that that sort of becomes something they move forward with. Um, so I guess I just thought like, maybe I knew about it beforehand, but I didn't find it all that surprising maybe myself. Yeah. It, it's not surprising that a, a game that's a struggle of Android versus machine yeah. that there's, you know, there's androids that compromise your ideas and machines that compromise your ideas. Like it's not surprising yeah. that there's a village of machines, but I think it is surprising that they're all waving surrender flags when you first meet them and how, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and 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 how their how their behaviors and demeanors are almost sort of sweet. A, a villi- they're like a village of puppies that are just trying to do their best, and and they want to be good good dogs. You know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> there's a there's a very it, it's a very unusual vibe. It's not just a village of hyperlogical machines. It's a it's a village of re- really docile, friendly machines. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're imitating human behavior again, and mm-hmm. it, 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 I think, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the degree to which machines, as you see, even through this playthrough, are trying to imitate human behavior, I think, is sometimes shocking. And there's a side quest there um, where you have to go find, like, um, some mother's child, and you have mm-hmm. to, like, lead yep. the child back to it. Um, and that feeling of that familial relationship, yeah, I, mean, I think that that is um, surprising. Yes, I agree. And uh, moving on a little bit, uh, you, uh, the the next mission that you have, there's an atta- there's an attack on uh, from some uh, huge over uh, some huge like machine, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like a flying carrier, and it's uh, it's, the, it's the Goliath models that you fight in the okay. Abandon Factory, the, oh, okay. the Engels robots. Right. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's it's other Goliaths, but the the attacks are sort of are um, close to the mainland or close to where the resistance camp is. And after you thwart that, a huge crater opens up in the middle of the start- starting area. And that opens up some new sewer lines and some new areas to travel to, including a cave at the deepest part of the crater where you find a base where the aliens that created the machines reside. And when you visit that base, it's only corpses. The, the aliens resemble, I don't know, you know, kind of like big-eyed gray aliens, like Area 51 imagery kind of stuff. But they're all... In they're they're all dead uh, in resting in some in some kinds of tombs or coffins, and uh, but you meet Adam and Eve there again, and they uh, they they seem to relish the fact that uh, they're all that all of the alien masters are dead and that machines will rule the earth. You have a a fight with like I, I like sort of two um, B has a fight with one and near and uh, excuse me two B has a fight with one and nine S has a fight with the other that where there's a lot of dialogue but not much of a resolution and. You report back to your uh, back to the commander, who wants you to continue um, sort of investigating the area, which leads to a large settlement of machines in the nearby forest. But but what do you think of that alien base? It's not, not a whole lot happens there, but it, it 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 raises questions about the game's lore. I'm not sure what it's doing there. I'm not sure why there are pieces of a, of alien spaceship 
in there underground um, or how it gets there. I guess, I don't know. They don't really explain what that structure is supposed to be. It's just an alien structure that's underground. Um, and it's just really more of a vehicle for Adam and Eve to tell you that, no, the aliens have been dead for a long time because we killed them because we got became smarter than them. Bye-bye, aliens. Um, but we think your human masters are really interesting, so let's bring them down from the moon and let's meet them. It was a really interesting conversation in that scene. Yeah. And a really interesting way to have it because it's it's a boss fight but it's a boss fight that ends once you finish that conversation you can't beat them they just leave once they finish talking with you and you any other game might have had that just happen in a cutscene. but here we have a boss fight that's just basically like a, a monologue from the bad guys and it's a side scroller like with, we were talking about how the genre kind of uh changes that was a really interesting boss fight because it is literally feels like a Traditional two D yeah. fighting game, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it felt to me like 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 a, a boss fight in a scroller, like a Mega Man or Castlevania boss fight, except uh, I don't know, Cutman is taunting you while he throws his scissor blades at you. <laughs> I, but, I always find it kind of hard to follow the dialogue in that scene too, yes. because it's actually yeah. really challenging. Yeah, you have to um, concentrate. To not get hit constantly by them. You have to concentrate <laughs> so I, on the action, and and Adam yeah. and Adam is doing that stupid counter mechanic thing, so you have to deliberately sort of attack and alternate attacking and, and defending. It's it's not the easiest uh uh not the easiest duty to do. I think I think it's also um kind of a callback to the very first moments of the game where there's this um monologue, I believe it's to be um where she's saying, you know, I sometimes think about God and if we'll ever get the chance to kill him. <laughs> and yeah. um and and it's very very uh very Nietzsche in in its in its way and it's kind of like uh if i imagine to be in this situation um would feel kind of jealous because she was she's kind of like wishing to to kill god in in a way and adam and eve and um kind of adam and eve's predecessors have already done that they've already killed what's uh, created them what's given them um, thoughts in some in some ways, and so it's so it's kind of like Tubi's upset at this sort of fantasy that they're living out. That it was, hey, I wanted to be the ones to uh, kill what we see as deities. Hmm. Um. Maybe, and I I have some thoughts about this, but I want to get through the rest of the story first, or uh, at least get to the become as gods portion of the game. <laughs> which I'll, I'll never think of those three words the same way ever again, ever again. But uh, after the confrontation with Adam and Eve, you go to a forest area, which is, I think, one of the more beautiful settings that the game uses. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're talking about your side-scrolling sections, when you reach a castle at the at the end of the forest, it, the game becomes a Metroidvania game, which with a lot of action taking place on just a 2D plane. And when you... Uh, find the king that everyone seems to be protecting it seems to be a baby machine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or uh, that is just just in a cradle yep and and when uh 2B and 9S are about to inspect the machine a new robot named A2 um jumps out from the background and slices the baby king in half hmm. poor and, baby and uh 
basically your um your operator from your uh from your robot phone i'm sorry your your pod phone says uh hey this is an extremely dangerous rogue android uh kill uh avoid confrontation but if you do but if you do confront her kill her and you have another pretty intense uh 2D plane boss fight. Wait, no, no, this isn't 2D plane. It's, no, no, it is a 2D no, plane. No, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, another 2D boss fight. 2D sounds like the names of one of these androids, but it, <laughs> but it isn't. I'm, I'm grateful there isn't one named 2D or 3D, because that would just get so confusing um, in the context of our conversation. But uh, you have a pretty intense fight against A2, uh, which, is, which also is inconclusive. A2 sort of retreats at the end. And uh, you re- learn that A2 has... Some kind of history with an enemy, uh, anemone. Oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to say this right the whole time. Uh, A2 has some kind of history with anemone, um, because you do a side quest with anemone after the fourth segment, and then when you visit her again and mention A2, uh, anemone asks you to look into some other things. And regrettably, I didn't finish that side quest because the 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 mission right after the fourth stuff is where is when several side quests cut off. So uh, hopefully I can do that side quest in the t- in the 9S route. If not, uh, if, if not, I might have to wait for post game or something. Because I, I when I looked up um, side quests disappearing, why did my side quests disappear? Some of the comments were, "Oh, at the very very end, you unlock a chapter select to do quests that you missed." So I I know that that option is available available to me very very late, but I'm I'm not sure exactly what uh, what I can do uh, for the next playthrough. But how about that A2? We haven't talked about uh, that one yet. I mean, you don't really get much information about her in this playthrough. I think the only thing she says to you is uh, a 9S asks why she betrayed you, and she says, no, the command is who betrayed you, and it sets you know sets some story beats up for later, but you really mm-hmm. just don't know much about her yet. Yeah. you know, All you know at this point is that she is a... Uh, betrayer and she uh, has been on the run taking out anyone who comes after her including other Yorha uh, androids for presumably a long time the the time the timeline's a little like and this uh, we can talk about this I guess in the next episode too the timeline especially with with regard to like anemone and uh, her history with a2 was never quite clear on like how many centuries we're talking because we are talking centuries here mm. at this point um but i guess ultimately it doesn't even really matter how long things have been going on that's kind of the whole point it's been going on for so long that maybe even the participants themselves don't really remember oh, like, are, are you, you know. sa- are you saying that the war between elves and dragons has been going on so long that the elves don't even remember the origin of the war yes <laughs> That was a Final Fantasy XIV Heaven's Word reference uh, for those uh, who are not as annoyed with me as Caitlin is. To be fair, they don't know why because someone covered it up. Yeah, there was a cover-up, and elves only live... I'm sorry, Elizen only live a, a few decades or hundreds of years while dragons are near eternal in the Final Fantasy XIV world. But uh, back to near Automata, um, after... After this dialogue, and especially a little earlier on, after the alien base sequence, that that put the idea in my head. I think the humans are also all dead. Uh, the, the moon base where the human survivors allegedly live, we don't know anything about that moon base. Uh, my my theory from around the halfway point of this game was that uh, it's only machines and androids, and of course moose and boars. Uh, 
um, now. Uh, the I think that part of the message of pointlessness in this game is that uh, the humans and aliens are all dead. The machines and androids are only are fighting because that's what they were designed to do, and they're only they're only now discovering. Uh, what their humanity is or was glory to mankind. Like I, I think that's one of the statements the game is making. I don't know this. Um, this is speculation on my part. Again, I've only done the A route and about uh, an hour or two of the 9S slash B route. So we will address this in a future episode. But a- am I crazy to think that? You're not I crazy. I mean, I'm pleading the fifth here. Uh, okay, un- understandable. But uh, I appreciate the vote of non-craziness, Zach. So uh, um, after the after the meeting with a, with A two, um, the next big mission is visiting a flooded city sequence. Is visiting a flooded city, which it was uh, you can access from a sewer pipe that was opened um, from the uh, from the big Goliath attack around the midpoint of the game. And this is a very beautiful area. It's 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 very gray and blue. Uh, there's there's uh, there's a lot of water and waterfalls. But you can only get th- you can get through the area in about five minutes because uh, you you fight some big robots. And then there's an enormous attack, an enormous attack from a kraken-sized undersea battleship of a robot. That's one of the more intense boss fights in the whole game because you're a, uh, you, you switch between multiple flight modes. Um, you're it really feels like a shmup because you're like you're attacking rotating weak points on this boss. It's it's pretty intense, but and it ends in a uh, it ends in a real grim moment where uh, 2B passes out for eight hours and is, is sort of desperately trying to locate 9S. Uh, and that leads you to getting a scanner device from the, from the resistance base, um, finding some, uh, uh, some cor- not corpses, finding some uh, heavily injured uh, androids that were, um, that were damaged from the EMP shockwave of the boss, and then giving you a location for an 9S, which takes you to a bizarre, pure white approximation of a human city that was, like, created from, I don't know, uh, Legos of only one color. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's, it's a real stark setting. It's, it's called The Copied City, and it was built by Adam, one of the, uh, one of the two um, superhuman-like machines. And... Uh, Again, it was Adam mimicking and emulating human behavior and activity to an obsessive degree. He's kidnapped 9S and sort of crucified him on uh, on a uh, like a, a, against part of a wall while he's collected the corpses of dozens of other android units. So j- I think just trying to get a rise out of 2B, I think. And then you have a pretty intense boss fight against Adam. Uh, so what did you think of all this? This is some. This is I think maybe the. Other than maybe the final battle and the battle with Simone, I think this is one of the more memorable boss encounters of the game. I love the copied city. Yeah. It's just a really cool visual. Like the the color is the, the starkness of the color is really cool the the I mean the inherent artificiality in that color and also just the the design is so like how to describe it. Like it's clearly, you can see how Adam is pulling from, uh, I don't know, whatever like remaining structures or historical records that machines have access to. Um, But it's not like he's recreating an actual place or trying to follow like any sort of 
actual, you know, uh, design that you would have in reality. It's, it's sort of like it's haphazard. Things change unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like taking different pieces from different buildings or even different styles of buildings and mashing it all up together into this weird sort of un, well, unnatural, but like unexpected and, and, and abnormal structure. And I mean, it, it works. It's such an interesting set piece to have uh, for that sequence and the boss fight. I will admit though, that because you go underground and I can't help it, there is a sky in this place and I could not help but wonder how is there a sky underground <laughs> in a cave? How? I'm not supposed to think about that. And I guess the, the explanation is that whatever material that they're able to, to you know, fashion the city out of, it can... I'm thinking this is either the best planetarium of all time or we have a, <laughs> or we have a Truman Show situation on our hands. Um, Basically, when he, when uh, Adam was examining the entire record of human history, he, uh, he he you know checked out some some movie set design uh, <laughs> documents. Movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, he, like the setting is incredible, and it's a bit of it's again it's not a very large area because I don't think any of the zones in Near Automata are are that big except for the over large desert sequence. It's a huge contrast and really quite beautiful. It reminds me of something like the, I don't know, the X-Men Danger Room or the uh, the quantum sequences in Virtue's Last Reward. It's just, it's just a really cool yeah. sci- uh, sci-fi setting and a really cool boss fight. But after you defeat Adam and rescue 9S, 9S needs to go up for repairs in the bunker. But uh, Eve completely snaps at the at the death of uh, at the death of yeah. Adam. I mean, because um, Adam before the fight disconnects himself from the network in an effort mm. to create this actual threat of death again uh, his obsession obsessiveness with human behavior again yeah around the time of the of the encounter with them in the alien base it's clear that they're sort of the co uh the co-leaders of all the machines and sometime in between then and the copied city copied city battle adam's obsessiveness with with uh emulating humans led to him disconnecting himself from all the other machines and, uh, and, and building this city. And after his death, Eve, who now has control of all the machines, completely snaps and all of them, and the, the machines did, uh, become uh, homicidal and wild. Uh, there's an attack on the uh, resistance camp where you see machines eating humans like zombies. Um, and uh, it, they, they reach a level of swarming and aggressiveness that was heretofore unseen in the game. And that leads to the final battle, a really emotional uh, fight against Eve, which uh, before then you fight several uh, very large um, uh, spherical machines that, are, that, that man, they, show, they shoot a lot of purple balls at you. <laughs> so I don't mean to interrupt, but we skipped a sequence. Which, which sequence? Before Eve goes factory. crazy, you go With back Pascal. to the abandoned factory. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the factory. That's oh my, my favorite part, I think, of... of yeah, I, I, I played that earlier. I, I yeah. Played that, yeah, I played that earlier today, and it, uh, it, it shook me, but I was a little bit eager to move past it. You're right. Um, before, the, before Eve uh, attacks, but after you defeat Adam, you visit Pascal to, a, to inquire about Adam and Eve, and Pascal mentions that another group of disconnected machines uh, reached out to her, reach out to Pascal... Uh, with a possible treaty, like like uh, basically wanting peace, 
and asks uh, 2B to accompany to accompany them. So you visit where these other machines are, which is in the, the factory from the beginning of the game. Uh, they've approximated it like, I don't know, like like a church. They're, they're in vaguely uh, clergy-like robes. Um, uh, there are war, uh, robot. There are machines that are clearly uh, worshiping and discussing God and discussing a uh, oh some kind of savior uh, figure who is unclear to you. It's unclear exactly who it is. I thought it might have been Eve the first time I, uh, I well the only time I visited it, but it takes a very dark turn where they take you to a, a deep sub basement of the factory and then attempt to kill Two B and Pascal while chanting, we will become as gods. And after you realize the figure that they had held up as their god is actually just like a hollowed-out shell of a machine that has no consciousness anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like an empty... It was like an empty head. It reminded me kind of of the, uh, of, of the, baby, the baby robot being the king in the, in the oh, forest. It's like, yeah, it's like... I agree. It's, it's like, okay, it's like they're worshipping some kind of designated machine... But it's unclear why or uh, what the machine is or why they're important. But uh, but as as soon as uh, like what is it is it, is it uh, am I misremembering this like like does the head of the, the of head the, falls yeah, off the, 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 the head of the savior I, falls off yeah I think there's some indication that the machines were already aware that he wasn't there I mean like it was almost like his like the the hollowness and pointlessness of it like confirms that you know. Them becoming as gods and dying is what they should be doing. It's yeah, it's, all it's, very it's a very weird. it's a very yeah. weird Jim Jones kind yeah. of moment where yeah. they, where they uh they like um the, the the point of becoming closer to God is is dying, which I mean is, results in a very intense sequence where Tubi and Pascal escape the factory, eventually helped by um uh by Nine S hacking some machines and hacking some doors to open the way for them. Uh, I loved that well, whole sequence. The, the, the so sequence much. is really intense, and there's a awesome uh, music track playing with a oh, sort yes. with with, a, <laughs> with with um with sort of a metallic sounding chant of "Become as gods." Yeah. During, yeah, the, it's, during the track, it's, I love that that there's several different versions of that. Like you hear it first when you you fight Adam for the very first time, and it it gets used like in some side quests too. But that this version where they have the become as gods we will all die together and become as gods is one of my favorite versions of that track yeah it's, uh, you, you see some recurring lit motifs in the music here but it's extremely evident in the become as god sequence i was really interested in in that savior in was that that what had become a hollow shell was it um was that robot always like that, or was it someone who had ascended, who had um, some semblance of life like the others? And I think it's uh, important that the robot's name is Kierkegaard mm-hmm. as well in this respect because of Kierkegaard's, um, the, the philosopher's sword and Kierkegaard's uh, difficulties with his, uh, with his own view on Christianity and how he lived this short, brutal life and passed away in his early 30s, I believe. Um, yeah. So I, I felt like it was very, it was very fitting for that. I imagined that this was this robot who, um, prior to becoming this hollow shell that's being worshipped, was probably a, a very, uh, a very, uh, very dour, down on his luck sort of figure. Um, 
He and, who, who they, they might have arrived at their conclusion that death is to become as gods came from a, a sense of nihilism or despair. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that makes... And all of the... And this is also kind of a, a recurring thing is just the the fascinating uh, philosopher names that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. are throughout the whole game. You know, the robots named Marx and Engels and Pascal and oh. they're... There are others um, in Rapi. There's one in, I think, that first appears in Rapi that I really love that uh, we'll talk about next episode. <laughs> Mike, if you if you haven't done the Jean-Paul quest in Pascal's Village... Oh, I, I did, yeah. It. I already okay, did, good. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it say, make sure you do it before you do... Rapi. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah it makes me think that uh, Yoko Taro does not have the best opinion of Camus or Sartre. He doesn't have the best opinion of any of the philosophers. He no, talks yeah. about here, I think. Uh, actually, uh, uh, <laughs> again, again, like I think, uh, I think one of his one of the themes of the game is pointlessness. Oh, I <laughs> and, think uh, that's absolutely really and, what and, uh, the, of the game is really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 Jean and the Jean Paul machine is not uh, the most flattering portrayal of a uh, of a popular of of I don't know either of philosopher or um at, uh, like of celebrity culture even. Yeah. I mean, even where they go with Pascal, and like Pascal's wager is not mm-hmm. kind to Pascal as a philosopher or thinker. Yeah, but also I don't know. <laughs> I don't know most of these uh, most of these machine names because a lot of the bosses um, will be introduced, and then there there will be a name in glyphs that I assume are, are Japanese characters. Well, they're all like no. Uh, I don't. Maybe. Like I, I didn't know what they were, and I, and I don't really, I can't read hiragana or katakana, so I assumed it might have been one of I those think things. Not. In the nine S route, they become translated, they, maybe. Yeah, that, that's they, what they that's what I thought. English, yeah. But they're, yeah. I mean, it's possible they didn't look to me like they were trying to be stylized uh, kana. Uh, I, but I, 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 I again, I won't a hundred percent recognize kana because I, I don't, I don't know either. <laughs> Maybe it is. It didn't screen that to me as somebody who has studied uh, the language. It didn't look like it was supposed to be interpreted as, as like stylized kana. But it was kind of an interesting sort of script that I I, I thought about it um, offhand. Like someone's probably compiled all the different versions of this to see. I'm seeing, obviously I think each symbol applies to a letter and it'd be interesting to see what the full alphabet is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess now an, an analogy might be like in the matrix, the code in the matrix is all backwards, Japanese and triangles and, ba- and uh, it, 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 I think it's probably some, some twisting of some, existing characters or maybe even some i don't know some they some, almost some, look some, like some, constellations to me yeah it's probably some cuneiform nonsense that they invented for the game but the uh but yeah I, I didn't know any of these um any of these robot names except for a couple of very obvious ones like adam and eve and and a2 but uh yeah that that become as god sequence it's a long escape sequence there's there's two full save points in the game and mm-hmm. the in, in in that sequence alone and save points are you know a, a little uncommon in near automata like each zone might have one or two and this just basement floor of a of a factory has two full ones that you need to because there's a couple instant death mechanics um i i, I did robots I, that run at you and explode yeah robots <laughs> that run at you and explode and um While they and scream. um and uh, and some uh, you, you, you know so, some some giant machine presses and that yeah. one, one of those killed me is uh, is how I died in this and I had to find my body and everything to get my good healing chips back, but 
yeah, it's 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 intense and a little challenging, and you have to fight one boss that, that's invulnerable until uh, 9S shuts the power off. So then you have to beat uh, the uh, you have to beat a boss which is now not invulnerable but in the dark, <laughs> which was uh, not the most challenging boss fight in the game, but still uh, something that I I don't know that that increased my anxiety a little bit. Oh yeah, and that um, speaking of the music, that's one of the actually I think it is possibly the only instance of the, that music in the game, unless you have the uh, DLC uh, installed. It's a really great piece of music that I um, I forgot about that when I moved on to later parts of the game because the name of that track made me think it was going to be used in Route C, and in, I remember being like, okay, where is it? Where is it? It never happened, and then I realized, oh, it only plays during that one boss fight. Right, okay. Um, so, uh, moving on from this... Uh... It's, it's called Possessed by Disease, which, if you know what happens in Route C, you can imagine why I thought it might happen in that route. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a really interesting note when I was... Um... Um, at the near concert where uh, Keiichi Okabe had talked about how um, he had like particular ideas about when the music would be um, would be used in the game, but that Yoko Taro kind of went ahead and um, kind of switched tracks around and uh, didn't let him know until he actually played the game. <laughs> so there's so there's um that's on like brand. A couple, yeah mm-hmm. there are a couple of songs that he was like oh yeah these are big like end game you know uh, boss fights or lead-ups to boss fights and one of those was actually used as like the first track in the game when you're doing the uh the the opening twin stick shooter part <laughs> it kind of went off and um some of the songs kind of have this odd juxtaposition to them that i think works really well with the game that explains a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoko Taro, as an agent of chaos, probably does explain a few of the design decisions <laughs> made in this game. <laughs> but uh, he has a really wonderful GDC talk <laughs> that I think is kind of enlightening. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a, a an interview with him and with uh, Yoshi P of Final Fantasy XIV that was done with some by some people with Vice Gaming uh, mm. slash the former Waypoint and. Yeah, it, it, this is on brand for him. Like they they, they even <laughs> mentioned uh, the some of the Final Fantasy fourteen people that they had to make sure that like the server rooms were locked and that uh, just to make sure uh, Taro wouldn't try just shutting everything off or something. Yeah, I <laughs> heard that joke. Uh, I don't know exactly how much truth was to that joke, but I mean that's just the kind of comment you hear about. Uh, Taro-san, <laughs> but any- given given what can happen at the end of the original Nier and what can happen at the end of this game, we mm. should all be Sounds like a very for part two. very scared about what Taro might do to the Final Fantasy XIV servers. All right, uh, sounds like a discussion for part two. But uh, <laughs> um, moving on um, after the, after the factory sequence. Uh, uh, Nines is uh, is near recovered and um, about to join to uh, be again. But uh, what I accidentally alluded to earlier is um, Eve completely snaps. All of the uh, machines in the area become hyper aggressive. Uh, there's uh, you fight a boss battle just outside the resistance camp after after the resistance camp is attacked. 
and you see the robots exhibit real crazy behaviors like eating androids. And then you fight several boss, uh, a, a few boss battles in a row. Um, uh, you know, um, spherical machines shooting a lot of purple orbs at you. Uh, Eve becoming increasingly crazy with uh, um, half of his body turning black. And uh, and eventually um, him, you know, raising up on, uh, you have to pl- jump through floating platforms to reach him. Uh, it, it's not the most challenging boss fight in the game, but very emotional and intense. And at one point in the boss fight, uh, you lose your ability to um, use your weapons. And so you have to finish the last, I don't know, 10% of his health bar with only your firearms. And then, at, or your, your, your pod firearms. And then after a, a minute, a, a few minutes of that, your, uh, your, those weapons shut down. And you have to, you, you kill Eve in a cutscene with uh, uh, 9S hacking into the machine network that's continually repairing Eve and 9S holding up one of her broken katanas and slowly and brutally killing Eve. <laughs> and, and I don't mean the, uh, I don't mean the popular uh, television show killing Eve, just, 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 just straight up murdering a machine named Eve. And then in, an, in one of the like gasp worthy moments of the game, uh, Ninus tell uh tells to be that he believes the machines are uh, are are corrupting Ninus's body in an attempt to in an attempt for the machine network to find a new home and Ninus asks to be to kill them to be doesn't do so with a sword or a gun she she uh she straddles Ninus she straddles Ninus and and uh and strangles him to death and then in a really confusing moment um the the green eyes of several fallen machine heads um, start blinking in sequence, and you see the, uh, a huge overhead air area of just hundreds of machine heads blinking, and then a couple of them convalesce together and speak in Ninos's voice, thanking to be, and then that's the end of the game. <laughs> that's the end of Route A. So, uh, yeah, some real... Uh, emotional moments in that final battle, but I mean, nine S asking to be to to kill them was j- j- yeah. just brutal. I I I, but, I didn't see it going that that was completely unexpected to me. Um, I mean, I think that two B's reaction to it too is what I think for me makes it so emotional. Like she has been so deadpan and so mm. um, you know steady throughout the whole thing, and she's devastated by this moment. Um, and nine S and nine S even says it's like. It's okay. Um, they'll make a new body for me. It'll be, uh, and, and they'll, and I'll be with you again soon. And Two B says, "No, that'll be, that won't be this nine S. This won't. It won't be the nine S that was with me all this time." Yeah, and I, it, I mean, it, the way it's raising questions about like what you know, what really makes nine S nine S, and what really makes I, any of them like really human or not human. Their experiences, um, questions that get explored a lot more in the next in the next portion. But I think that they do. A really brilliant job of selling the emotions here. and and again they communicate very early um that uh these androids can't are semi-disposable uh like right. when uh like um to be in 9s self-destruct at the after the very first mission only to regenerate and be sent back down to earth and they're dispended they're dispensed through vending machines so they're as they're as dis- dis- disposable as bags of chips yeah. so um but uh, for 2B, who has been stark and emotionless, emotionless, or at least telling 9S to be less emotional for the whole game, for her to react like that, I, like you said, Zach, is a real moment. 
And now with the B route, playing as 9S and seeing the reactions with 2B from his side, and I'm fascinated to see how the interactions will change and uh, and the other details that will change because uh, for, for many reasons, but one of which being um, I think it will be easier the second time uh, because I'm – I, I, I'll, I mean, my characters will be much stronger. I'll, I'll actually know what I'm doing. I won't get lost and get killed by Moose the way I did the first time. <laughs> That's what you and, think. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. But um, Oh, yeah. My, my... You didn't do that side quest in the forest. Which side quest in the forest? I probably didn't. There's a side quest where you have to take out a dangerous, like animal or machine oh, yeah. that's muscling in on the local animals and wait until you see what it looks like. Oh, no. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, well, I, you oh, will no, is, never is a... look at the animals the same way okay, again. Okay, so it's a giant mecha moose or something or a bunch of boars, a bunch of boars Voltron into a, a giant mecha. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just completely spitballing. But the, uh, I, I'm interested to see what happens in the B route because I think it'll it'll go faster, and I think it'll be more interesting. Because I'll be less focused on the moment-to-moment action, and more focused on the changes and the depths that it goes. Because uh, the, the first route to, I did again, I did about it said about twenty-five or thirty percent of the side quests, and I had a bunch of side quests in progress that didn't complete. Uh, it took me about sixteen or seventeen hours, and I think that each I, without totally knowing how each route goes, I'm pretty confident that each of my playthroughs will be faster than the last. I imagine your B rep will be quicker, yeah. But there, there are a lot of gameplay and mechanic changes and some story changes yeah, he only, as well. So, he, yeah, he can... Uh, 9S hacks into enemy units a yeah. lot, and he only can equip one uh, weapon instead of two. Uh, it's probably going to be Virtuous Treaty the whole game, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Get a spear. I, I have a pretty spear, good spear. Spears are, I got, good for, spears are good for 9S. Maybe I'll... I do have a pretty good spear that I got to level two. Um, I mean, maybe I'll try that one. But... Uh, and it was from the uh, it was from the rogue androids quest where uh, the three androids go AWOL and you ha- and you sort mm-hmm. of kill them in cold, cold blood for desertion. Yep. Yeah, I, I got a pretty good spear from the leader of them. But uh, but anyway, uh, there's a lot there's a there's a lot to unpack in near Automata. We have not done so yet. We've mostly just uh, recited the basic plot points of the first game while going on to important valid tangents. Like uh, like how it treats religion and philosophy and gender, and post-apocalyptic settings, and uh, all manner of other things. But I, I think we've only scratched the surface. I know that there's a reason this game is already good, but I know there's a reason that so many people found uh, found it to be an all-timer. And I have not found that yet, but I think I will because I haven't gotten there you yet. Will. I, I mean, the first the first route is good, but it become something else entirely yeah yes yes right i i um (laughs) without exactly knowing what you mean i believe you because right now this is a good character action rpg and uh but i mean but i mean you know dodge slash shoot dodge slash shoot it's not that much different from uh from a i don't know a devil may cry mission or something right but the uh but but it i am intrigued to see the places it will go because frankly i do not know all the places it will go and oh, the places he'll go. <laughs> so you're telling me that one of the uh, machine bosses, maybe the maybe the circular one that shot lasers at me, is named Seuss? <laughs> Precisely. He's maybe. a great philosopher. <laughs> a great philosopher. 
All right. It's okay. So, all right. If we, of all the weird references we've done this episode, um, landing on Dr. Seuss, I think now it's time that we move into house, the housekeeping portion of the podcast. Um, this is only part one of our Near Automata series. So next week there's going to be more Near Automata. I will hopefully have beaten the B and C and more routes uh, by then. But I don't know. I'm not, uh, as Joe can tell you, I'm not great about finishing games for this podcast all the time. <laughs> Well, hey, you finished you, you finished the last one we did together, which was Ghost Trick. So. Yep. Yeah, well, Ghost Trick is shorter than the A route of Near Automata, so uh, <laughs> that was working in my favor. But what's not working in my favor is that the game for next month is Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which is a fifty or sixty hour monster. Um, so I will be uh, <laughs> I will struggle to finish that one over the month of February, and we'll have two episodes on Tokyo Mirage Sessions in March, and also. Uh, Zach, you and I are both um, great appreciators of the video game Dragon Quest V, are we not? We are. The, <laughs> the 3D CGI anime adaptation of Dragon Quest V, called Dragon Quest Your Story, is getting an English subtitled version on Netflix on February 13th. And we're recording this podcast before February 13th. I think it's going to post after the 13th. And, uh, but you and I and others will watch um, Dragon Quest Your Story on our own time and then have a podcast episode about that in March. Because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure that you and I will have thoughts on that oh, yes. uh, worth discussing in a, uh, few, um, a few weeks from now. Delighted and scared. Yeah, I am, I am delighted and a little worried. But it, it, it's fine. Um, I have had video games with with uh, so-so movie adaptations, and it doesn't it doesn't undo the video game for me. So even if it's even if Dragon Quest Your Story is Dragon Quest Your Pile of Trash, uh, <laughs> I will I, I I will I will be eager to discuss it, whether it's good or bad. Because there's there's a um, it, it, I think it's usually more fun to be celebratory and positive when you're talking about art or movies or games or anything. But there is a, a different brand of fun to just completely rag mm-hmm. on something that's that's awful. So, <laughs> but we'll see um, which side of the coin Dragon Quest Your Story is in a few weeks in early March. But uh, listeners, if you want to reach out to the podcast directly, the best way is to email retro at rpgfan.com. rpgfan.com also has message boards, a Facebook page, an Instagram page uh, moderated by the um, superb Stephanie Sabidlo, a Twitter account, a Discord server, a Twitch channel with something new streaming every day. I say new, but usually it's Suikoden 2 or something old. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how many times Max has played the Suikoden games on our Twitch page, but is it my, I think the number is somewhere in the allot region. Uh, and you can also find uh, three other podcasts on RPGFan.com. Random Encounter, about randomness and current events. Rhythm Encounter, about RPG fan music, but it hasn't had an episode in a while. And Phoenix Edge, which is hosted on YouTube every week and uh, uh, is also mostly focused on current events. And you can review Retro Encounter or those other three podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or however you are listening to us. Please provide all the feedback that we can stand. Now, Joe, Caitlin, and Zach, let's tell the listeners how they can reach us each individually, starting with you, Caitlin. I am Liam Cazarel on Twitter, on Discord, pretty much everywhere. And how do you spell Liam Cazarel? Because I, I, I usually just put in L-I-A-N and then let autocomplete finish the rest. Uh, well, L-I-A-N and then Cazarel. I, I, maybe, I don't know, I pronounce it weird. I pronounce a lot of things weird. Uh, K-A-Z-A-I-R-L. Got it. All right. Zach, how can listeners reach you? Uh, you can email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord at ZachW. And Joe, your turn. 
You can find me on uh, RPG Fans social media, um, on Twitter and Facebook especially. Um, I'll be running those on my personals, on Discord, uh, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me as at Queers for Fears. No, it's not offensive. I'm a queer person. Just letting that out there because we... I'd be, I'd, I'm, personally, I'm personally more offended by the fact that you like Tears for Fears. <laughs> I, I I mean I play in an, I play in like an eighties influenced band. I kinda have to. You know? All right, all right. <laughs> Everybody I, wants to rule the world. The, the, okay? This is a this is a no judgment zone. I have seen one thousand episodes of Japanese Power Rangers, so come on. I I, I have I have no driftwood to stand on here. Uh, but listeners, if you want to reach me directly, you can find me on Twitter at the Muriel Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, or on the RPG Fan Discord as Monsoon Mike. Uh, glory to mankind, become as gods. How how many times am I going to cry during the rest of the, of this playthrough of Nier Automata? Because I'm putting the over under at two and a half and betting the over. I bet the over. Bet the over. Over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like compared to Route A, there's a lot more twisted shit in the the rest of the routes, and yeah, and including some of the side quests that you may not have gotten to, which we will absolutely oh my have to freak out about wandering couple. <laughs> oh no, I, I did the wandering couple side quest, but I, but um, uh, they said they were going to leave the the machine village. And then I never found them. So yeah, so it, you it, didn't finish it. Though. So I didn't. No, I didn't, didn't finish, finish it. it. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I hope. Oh, uh, hopefully that's one of the ones that that. Uh, all right. You can. Yeah, hopefully that doesn't disappear. Oh, yeah. Okay, it doesn't. Good, good. All right. I'm gonna I'll... say two cries and five jaws on the floor. Two. Ooh, so betting the under on cries, but mm-hmm. uh, but balancing that out with many dropped jaws. Got it. Yes. Uh, listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck.